We're going to go through um, a digital transformation of our network intelligence. That core that controls how data flows, how you connect to our network, all of that is going to go through a digital transformation. And so now we have software-defined networking across our network on the wired side and the wireless side. And that's where you can start to think of all of communication coming together and applications can live in different areas. So that, I'd say the first piece that's really different with 5G is that you're changing not only the air interface, but also our core. Welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. And today I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Christina Sheng. Now, Christina is the AVP for Enterprise Mobility Solutions, and we'll dive into that uh, role and what it tells in a moment. But Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. I have been anticipating having you on the show for some time. Uh, As we talked uh, before we hit record, I've had a number of your peers on the show, and they've spoken highly of you for so long that... uh, I'm very excited to have you on the air with us now. Uh, let me do a quick intro in, into you and kind of a, a little uh, rundown through some of the accolades because I, uh, when I, I did my homework on you, I was just uh, so impressed with some of the stuff that I, I read. So, uh, uh, Christina, you've got a, a Bachelor of Arts degree in Political Science and International Relations from the University of California at Berkeley. You've got an MBA or a Master of Business Administration degree with a, a focus or concentration in marketing strategy from the University of Chicago uh, Booth School of Business. Uh, in 2016, the Dallas Business Journal recognized you as a leading woman in technology. You've done some amazing stuff uh, around that space with uh, women in tech, which we'll get into soon. Uh, I read that you're an avid traveler, and um, I noted that you uh, were conversational in four languages, no less uh, English, Portuguese, Spanish, and Mandarin, which I, I thought was just showing off. That was pretty cool. Um, but I was blown away when I read a quote that I think it came out of, uh, in fact, it was a tweet I saw um, in your feed from, uh, I think it was circa 2017, somewhere about March, where you did a, a Women in Business uh, Summit or, or a series. And uh, you had this great quote that really captured uh, sort of some of the thinking that I thought surrounded you and your world. And that was, you said, uh, learning is how we keep pace with the rate of change. Uh, it's the only way we can get ahead and start leading that change as well. And I was just like, wow, uh, you had me at hello. So fantastic catch up with you. Um, maybe just give us a little bit of insight into yourself. Uh, I'd love to dive into your role uh, as APP of Enterprise Mobility with AT&T Business, but I wonder if you'd mind just giving us a little a bit of background about yourself, you know, uh, where you grew up, where you're from originally, uh, any insights into your uh, academic uh, path and your career path that sort of got you to this exciting role. Yeah, thank you so much. Um so I actually, I grew up in Connecticut on the East Coast of the U.S. Uh, my parents, my mom is from Brazil, so that's how I learned Portuguese. It was the first language I spoke. Uh, my dad grew up in Taiwan, and then he met my mom in Brazil. They both moved to Connecticut, and that's where I, I first grew up. In the middle of high school, I moved to the West Coast, uh, to the Bay Area near San Francisco. Uh, finished out high school there. And that's where I went to college at Berkeley. Um, And originally, I actually uh, studied international relations and poli-sci because I was looking at pre-law. I quickly decided that might not be the best uh, route for me, given the the work environment. And I think I really enjoy working with people. And so I started at a few different startups in the Bay Area that were really tiny companies, the kind that are... Uh, more like, hey, grab your paycheck. It's coming out on the printer uh, <laughs> type, type companies. Um, and then jumped from, from that end of the spectrum over to AT&T, which is you know, one of the large 
largest domestic uh, and now I guess international companies um, as well. And so it, I made that shift. Um, and actually, just starting with AT and T, we have a intro development program, uh, more focused on general management, which. I've enjoyed a lot. Uh, I started out in the network because I wanted to learn how we delivered all of our services. And so I managed uh, network technicians, um, first in construction engineering, then in installation and repair, uh, and then moved, got some advice um, to move over to the mobility side of things. Uh, that was really growing. And so there in mobility, I did marketing, strategy, operations, uh, moved to Chicago, uh, where I was on the mobility retail team, and we built this brand flagship store on Michigan Avenue, which was a great experience. It was really when we, at that time, it was our first store that we ended up opening with no cash registers and digital signage um, that was based in the cloud. Uh, and when we first started doing focus groups on this, um, I met met with a few different leading brands um, that do customer experience really well. Um, and then I did focus groups with some of our own customers and they were very apprehensive about this thinking about, I don't want to have anything to do with a store that doesn't have cash registers. Uh, and so, <laughs> I can imagine. You know, yeah. And it was interesting because I think ultimately it was customers that wanted equity and transparency. So it's how do you bring that customer experience that they're used to into this new digital world? Um, so that was a great experience. Then when I graduated um, business school, I was looking at getting closer to strategy, um, and I really found a good home in product. I like product development, which is what I did first, and then product marketing, because it's where strategy meets execution. You get to plan a few years out and then run that play all the way through. And it's also where technology meets the customer. You get to work on the latest technology and the customers that are looking at that innovation and how they can embrace it. So the first thing I did was a product development for data analytics, uh, software as a service suite that we had. It's actually a lot of the work that spun off into um, AT&T as a company and now Xander that looks at uh, advertising analytics. And then the second thing I took on was um, our cloud infrastructure and data center services. So I moved into the infrastructure layer, kind of down the stack. And then most recently, I moved over here to enterprise mobility, uh, looking at all the uh, connectivity solutions we have. Wow, that's an amazing background. I, when I read some of your bio, uh, I mean, you've been with at t for something like, well, well, nearly 12 years from what I can tell. Um, so that's quite an amazing life journey. And that mirrors a uh, what I see from a lot of your peers where they, um, they effectively find a home in at t and it's one of those organizations where once you get there, you, it's not so much that you never want to leave, but you don't, you don't need to leave because you can continue to grow and develop. And, and I guess this is one of the exciting things about the, the organization and brand as a whole, that you know, it's had a long lineage of doing amazing things. And uh, you know, even back to my background, I, you know, as a Unix person, I used to get excited about it and think, wow, what is a phone company doing with an operating system? But, it, you know, it made sense when you got into the detail. Um, yes. Well, I'd love to get into the detail of kind of what a day in the life of, of Christina Sheng's like. Uh, we've got some amazing things uh, for, for our audience to, uh, to enjoy, uh, and particularly there's a couple of points around uh, your recent announcement of your 5G strategy. I'd love to dive into some of the detail of that around the fixed wireless and wireless broadband topic get some insights from you around the whole mobile pillar that uh, underpins all of that. And then the, sort of the, the, the million-dollar question at the end around how to monetize all that. But um, 
what is what, what does the role itself entail? I mean, enterprise mobility solutions is a fairly broad remit, of course. What's what's a day in the life of uh, <laughs> of Christina like? Ooh, uh, it's it's uh, running around a lot. I I wear <laughs> <laughs> comfortable shoes, and people see me run through our, our open floors often. Um, so. I, all of enterprise mobility, I would say, boils down to if I'm selling uh, any wireless service to a business, that's something in my product portfolio. So from a product perspective, we manage the P&L, so how we drive revenues, how we manage our costs, um, and that is across our rate plans. So that would be the main way that customers consume these services. I manage all the device OEM relationships, um, so what we bring to market, how we go to market together. Um, a lot of the volumes and the growth that we're responsible for every year. And so that comes with an offer uh, you know, budget as well when we think about buy one, get one free or things like that to drive the and deliver the, the plan that we have. And then business applications. So how do we differentiate our mobile services with business-focused apps? Um, and then most recently, as you mentioned, it's it's gotten to be how are we bringing 5G to market? How do we commercialize it? Um, and so it's great to have this piece of what's growing with 5G balanced with the entire base that we're lifecycle. You know, how are we managing the rest of our mobility services? And then thinking about introducing 5G into each of these different areas. So you've got a fairly unique view of this whole world. Uh, you know, as you said, you know, m- managing it all the way from the, the profit and loss sort of side of things from the balance sheet and, and the, the operational piece of the business and making sure you're making a profit can stay and keep the doors open, as it were, all the way through <laughs> yes. to to strategy uh, and, and strategic and planning to kind of, you know, as you said, you know, how, how do we develop and offer solutions that, that the market needs and, and wants? Deal with all that disruption that comes from, uh, you know, what we sort of see consumer and customer-based disruption. Uh, I mean, gosh, that's that's an amazing thing. I, I can imagine you jump out of bed every day wanting to actually go to work um, because there must be some new challenge every single day, right? Yes, it is. It is. And um, and it's exciting across all those different fronts. That's where um, I think of any time I want to lean into the latest technology, that is a big part of the role and how we're going to transform industries with this, with 5G, is, is really exciting. Um, and then there's also the just the scale piece of the business. Um, I, I love having the ability to see that we launch an offer one day, right? Friday and Saturday, we can see a change in our in our customers' behavior. Uh, and so it's great to have both of those uh, and, and kind of see the adoption because I really love this. You know, that's the piece about product that's great is you can see the changes it has on everybody at scale. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I had the privilege of, uh, uh, as you know, both uh, being part of the uh, AT&T Business Summit last year. I think it was November in Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, we had uh, the amazing experience of a, a day in the, the HQ, as it were, and uh, seeing a whole range of things from you know, data cubes uh, and an entire floor watching your entire network running uh, in various ways. And it really did strike me that, uh, you know, as you just said, that the sense of, you know, you can you can tweak a knob at one end and it has an immediate effect somewhere else and you can see that happen and, and you can sort of, you know, fine tune as you go, which I think is pretty exciting. Now, 
I'd love to dive into some of the stuff that uh, that I highlighted before that we would want to cover. I, I read in a recent press release that came out of uh, AT&T and your team uh, where you'd announced your 5G strategy, and there were three key pillars that I thought we'd sort of dive into. The first one was mobile, which is a bit of a no-brainer, but then fixed wireless, which uh, people don't tend to think a lot about, um, but seems to me to be a very large piece of this. Uh, the one that excited me more than anything, though, was edge computing, because that's a, a very big part of sort of my world. Um, when people think about 5G as, as a technology, and particularly as a mobile network technology, we sort of think about it as a, you know, another G, but I guess the reality is it's not just another G. Um, often folk don't necessarily think of those categories, uh, and particularly the, the mix of them. Um, I'd love to get your sense around sort of you know, the whole topic of 5G and, and how it can be that blend of, of, of mobile and one space, you know, fixed and uh, particularly the, the fixed wireless and, and mobile broadband offering or wireless broadband. Uh, as well as the other end of the spectrum um, around the Internet of Things and edge computing and, and multi-edge access. How does that blend work? Yeah, I think that uh, you, you summarize it well, and I, I do this conversation with customers a lot, is 5G is not just another G. It's Well, or at least it's very different than the ways we've introduced the previous generations. Um, one piece of that is we're going to actually update two sides of the network, and that's kind of the simple delineation I do. Uh, one is the air interface, and that's the radio network that we think about making these upgrades to all the time. That That's the radio in the tower and the radio in your handset, right, uh, or in whichever device it is. And the data transfer there will become much more efficient, spectrally efficient as well. Um, and then also within that, we're introducing a new wave. We're, we're introducing millimeter wave. Uh, so new form factor as well um, into all of our spectrum holdings here in the U.S., uh, also abroad. And millimeter wave is a piece of just smaller wavelengths so they can travel much faster, not over the same great distances. But you think about now there's different use cases for that air interface that's introduced. The second piece of the network, though, that's going through a change that I agree with you is the very exciting piece um, and enables edge and distributed computing is that we're going to go through um, a digital transformation of our network intelligence, that core that controls um, how data flows, how you connect to our network, all of that is going to go through a digital transformation. And so now we have software-defined networking across our network on the wired side and the wireless side. Uh, and that's where you can start to think of all of communication coming together. Um, and applications can live in different different areas. Um, so that, I'd say the first piece that's really different with 5G is that you're changing not only the air interface, but also our core. The second piece is, and we've talked about this in a little bit, is that it's going to be much more business-led. Uh, you know, there is different analysts that predict in, in the next five years, more than 70% of all 5G connections are going to stem from business use cases. And that's, like we talked about a little bit, is it's going to be more because so much of that will be IoT. So much of that will be machine and, and thinking about connecting that. So that's another reason why I'd say it'll be different and we can get into how we're monetizing that in the use cases. And then I think the third way um, that is different is that 4G and 5G will continue to live together. Uh, as we roll out, for example, at the end of last year, we launched our 5G millimeter wave mobile service um, and we're still going to have our LTE service around for this foreseeable future because uh, it's really because of those 
the form factor of millimeter wave. That's going to be in dense areas where we can provide these new use cases. And then LT will continue to be around uh, and carry a majority of our data and our customers' mobile use. I like that. Actually, you raised a couple of good points there, and I'm furiously making notes here because uh, <laughs> there's so much in this great insight you're offering. But um, the whole uh, challenge of, of people understanding that, that 3G didn't go away, and, and in various mm-hmm. parts of Australia here, when I'm driving in rural areas, I dropped a 3G and it still works, and I can make a phone call and I can send uh, SMSs or texts, as it were. Uh, and I can download email. And, you know, when I'm uh, sitting at home, I'm often on 4G. Um, if I'm in the US, it'll switch to LTE. And I think this is a, it's almost like a misnomer that we're going to flip the switch and 5G is there and everything else is going to go away. But, that, I mean, you know, yeah. it isn't going to be the case, right? And, uh, and I think this is something that people need to, to really uh, come to grips with, that, that it's just another evolution, uh, I see it, and we can leverage that. But in many ways, it sits on top of, of it like another layer, um, and you also mentioned uh, something that I thought really was uh, probably one of the key things that, that I'd love people to sort of take away from this, and that is that there's a business focus on this. I think the earlier generations of, of mobile technology allowed us to make phone calls and uh, you know, voice calls was sort of the killer app. Uh, now I think this business focus, and particularly, as you said, the, the whole sort of machine-to-machine and what organizations can do, uh, you know, connected agriculture, connected mobility with with um, you know business enter- enterprise devices, but at the other end of the spectrum, autonomous things, you know, cars, planes, trains, auto- etc. Um, I, I think this is a shift that that people need to get their head around. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. That it's not just another G. It's not just faster phone calls. It's not even watching ten Netflix movies at the same time with with you know orders of magnitude more bandwidth. It's entirely new opportunities to create new use cases, new business cases, and and then look at how to drive revenue from that. Is that something that you see people are grasping earlier, or are we still in the very early maturity curve of that understanding and realisation what 5G and the transition to it is going to mean? Hmm. I think we are very early in that curve, but I think businesses are starting to to ask those questions. And I, I even think as you were saying that, right, I was reflecting when we moved into LTE, uh, and we made that transition. That was the age of mobilization for for empl- for workers, right? For all of us. Think about how much more you could do on your mobile device and what we were talking about, how much we travel and how productive you still are. But that did start um, really with consumers pushing that because remember previously, uh, companies would manage that piece of it, right? The device that the employee had and all of these things. And BYOD was was a challenge to IT departments to think through, well, now actually my employees are driving a lot more of what it is that they want to do on their mobile device. And so over the last 10 years, enterprises have become much more savvy and focused on mobile to the point where now I think they're pushing it and understanding that cellular capability. So I think now as we look at businesses, that's where from a mobile perspective, actually at the end of last year when we launched uh, our 5G millimeter wave uh, first uh, mobile network. Uh, all the customers that we first put on are these early small business innovators that are in these markets that are looking at new ways to do things and are just excited about getting that technology, knowing that they're going to it will improve business outcomes. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I you know. I... I do remember uh, I've been on both sides of the fence as far as uh, you know, sitting in roles like CIO or CTO. And I remember, as you said, the transition to sort of three to four G, and all of a sudden, you know, people wanted to be able to connect their laptops and 
uh, you know, there's no more sort of dialing up and getting the doing doing modem sound anymore. It's just <laughs> magically connected via wireless on, on cellular. And I remember that transition where people said, well, I want to be able to work from home and I don't want to have to have another internet connection. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to work from someone else's office and I want to be able to work on site. And then all of a sudden people said, well, I can do this from my own phone. Why can't I can't do this at work? Like, you know, there's a, almost this, this pent-up frustration of like, this just happens in consumer space. Why isn't it happening in enterprise? And I, I remember sitting there thinking exactly as you said, it was like, well, this is, this is almost like a tsunami of change that we hadn't prepared for. Uh, and yet, as we were talking before we hit record, you know, in the last uh, week and a half, I've personally been between, you know, the likes of Sydney and Auckland and, and, and Shanghai and Paris and Berlin and then back to Paris and then back to Guangzhou and then, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore and then back to Sydney. And none of that journey meant connecting in a different way. It was mm-hmm. me, my laptop, uh, uh, my, my wonderful uh, Samsung uh, S9, the AT&T data plan, and it just worked. And... I remember getting off the plane here in Sydney and then pinging my, my, my family saying, I'm, I'm here safely, I'll be in a taxi soon. And uh, I realized I had the laptop and phone in one hand, my, my shoulder ba- uh, bag sort of over my arm and my, my <laughs> tote bag in my hand. And I was like, this is my whole office. <laughs> I just spent a week and a half on the road and this is my whole office, you know. Um, but you made also another interesting point around the BYOD and that is that the consumer side drove that shift into enterprise, I think, where, um, you know, the early adopters of, using you know smartphones apps on phones getting email and so forth that had a significant impact and i think this is an interesting thing that we're now seeing with what people are expecting with what they can do with the likes of wireless broadband mm-hmm. um and i noted that one of the key components of all of this with your 5g strategy one of the three that we talked about between mobile fixed and and edge was um this whole uh, fixed wireless solution that you were talking about, and I'd love to get some insights into exactly what that pertains to, what it means, what it offers, and I guess more importantly, what makes it unique from the AT&T perspective. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's like you mentioned, mobile is a little obvious. Fix is really about ubiquity. Um, and I think that as we move forward, cellular has become much more reliable. Wireless has become much more where, where consumers actually, or sorry, businesses see it as, not just um, backup, if you think about a, a branch location, a restaurant, they're running their mobile point of sale, a store, they're running operations off of that. The transition was originally they'd have a wired connection and they started to introduce wireless as redundancy, as backup. In case something happens, I can use this for failover. And seeing the performance of that over time has has kind of tipped the scales where people now see it as a primary connection and they feel comfortable with that. And also they look at wireless as a way to even do active-active or double redundancy, right? Because I'm not worried about going over the same circuit potentially. Um, and so that's really where domestically for AT&T, we have a really strong fiber footprint, uh, twice as much as our next nearest competitor. But um there's also plenty of areas that we don't cover with fiber. And so in that, we see fixed wireless as a way to still bring broadband over wireless to those customers. And so along those lines, we launched AT&T Wireless Broadband. Um, so it's it's over our wireless network, it's unlimited data, and it's really a max speed, like how you buy broadband domestically. So you'd say up to 50 megabits per second. And that way, the customer understands how they're buying it. It's it's in the same vein of how they've been buying services already, uh, and now they have this. And where it's really started to resonate the most is um, some of our, our customers that have many sites in the U.S. Right, and so they have to think about how do I aggregate all these different broadband providers. Um, and now we can actually 
fill 100% of their needs using wireless as well. Yeah, I, I watched the I watched with great interest with one of the hats I wear sort of as a market analyst as we're seeing that transition from I guess uh, the mobile broadband uh, Cambrian explosion I like to call it because I, I sort of saw this role that where you know banks uh, providing you know access to the Swift network or the FPOS network putting terminals in stores they were no longer sort of you know ISDN links and they weren't even PSDN sort of dial up on demand links for these handsets and swiping credit cards they came with a SIM and uh, mm-hmm. all you had to do was keep them charged and even to the point where you know as we see with different types of retail stores I'm sure yours and, and I know Apple uh, did it very early on and even my corner convenience store now they, they don't have a point where, you know it's like come over this corner and swipe your card you know once you, you do the checkout at one end and you'd run to the other end and swipe your card because that's where the phone line extended uh, they walk around with these things. Every person in the store that's part of the retail environment has their own FPOS terminal, and they just walk up to you and you buy things. It was amazing. And we saw it in, in you know, like taxi industry, for example. The taxi industry uh, adopted mobile uh, sort of broadband data with their in-car booking systems and, you know, obviously FPOS on the road and transport logistics, um, that whole space of, of trucks running around with systems and, you know, uh, monitoring things in the background and, uh, I know small and medium-sized businesses leveraged it um, for a great part. But then that, that fixed piece that you're talking about now, I think, uh, grew out of that where people realized, well, oh, okay, I don't need a landline for my FPOS. I don't need a, a, a high-end data link for my, my, my business system out in the field. And when we think of things like in Australia, for example, you know, we've got very – I mean, it's like the sixth largest piece of dirt on the planet, so it's hard to wire it up. And, you know, we get the edge bits around the coast, but the bits in the middle are messy and – so yeah, mm-hmm. mining mining sites with thousands of things that are you know sensors on trucks moving around, uh, but that are essentially still fixed wireless. Um, you know sensors on on everything that digs holes and crushes rocks, and they can't physically run cable to those because sometimes they move on a daily basis. I think this is an exciting move because there's a lot of mess, there's a lot of delay, there's a lot of cost involved in digging holes and running cable and conduits and you know potentially then having them dug up again in the middle of an email or phone call. I think this is an amazing shift we're seeing now, and watching what AT&T Business is doing around the business solutions built on that. What's really exciting me is that we've gone back to assuming that that technology just works and it's stable and secure, and we're not worried about the plug in the wall anymore. We're worried about getting back to our core business because I think that's been a challenge for organizations, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that we were required to understand the technologies. Uh, more than we wanted to necessarily to figure out, well, how do I get this in? Is it ISDN? <laughs> is it PSDN? Is it a, a wide area network link? Uh, as you said, you know, do we need a wireless radio fallback? I think now organizations are comfortable with this idea that it's rock solid, it can be counted on, and they don't even have to look at the lights flickering. It just works, right? Yes, for sure. And I think that's where we're moving even more so is access agnostic so that I don't have to worry about uh, each of these different protocols or bringing these solutions together, uh, that we're able to do that. And I think that mobile and fixed, these two things kind of feed on each other to get to, you know, like you were mentioning with fixed and then moving into edge computing. What's driving all that is uh, one of the things with 5G uh, and the standards that we have is you could think with 5G, we're going to have massive IoT. And that's where Fix and mobile will come together even more because the mobile devices or the IoT devices that you think of in the future will not just be the sensors that report out information. It's expensive equipment, like you mentioned, these mining companies or or some of these large uh, companies that look at very mission critical, right, in, uh, machines that need to be connected. And now 
they can use cellular. And then you could think of cellular in terms of covering your your premises, right? Like fixed in a different way. Um, and when we say massive IoT, it's it's theoretically that we're going to have and be able to support a million connections per square kilometer. Wow. A million. That's huge compared to, you know, LTE was in the thousands, right? Uh, and we think of IoT proliferation already of how much happened so far. So when you think about connecting all of those things, things in such a dense area, you start to think about how much more data I will have, um, how much more that can transform the business. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think there's also that, that challenge we've had where to roll out uh, some of the technology we're talking about, whether it's sensors, smart or dumb, whether it's, um, you know, robotics, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, in, in some of those areas like, you know, big printing plants for newspapers and so forth. Uh, robotics and, and retail and warehousing and, and you know and mining and other areas, we've had to have this frustrating mix of Wi-Fi wireless uh, 802.x versus you know three and four G and and mm-hmm. I don't think they ever really blended nicely. We had this handoff between a device connecting. I mean, I I still have this at home. I get the point where some days I just turn off the Wi-Fi at home and say to everyone, just use your broadband. It's too frustrating. <laughs> I'm sick of changing the password and working out why it doesn't work. Um, and, and quite often the kids will say to me, we've got two teenagers, young adults, and they're like, well, we don't even use the Wi-Fi anymore, Dad. Like, just get rid of it. Um, <laughs> and, and I think the only reason we keep it is, is the wireless printer, which I've got to get somehow connected. But um, I think organizations are seeing this as a, as a breath of fresh air because, you know, they, they, they had so many layers of technology between Wi-Fi handoff to wireless handoff. And as you said, you know, with, with the likes of 50 megabit a second coming along, um, you know, there's a lot you can do with that. And, and, and even not so much the data throughput, but the low latency and the high, high bandwidth. Um, now, one of the things that you mentioned before around uh, the consumption of that, I mean, I think a lot of people worried about what this might mean when they got onto wireless because we had... Uh, this experience as consumers are worrying about how many minutes of call time we had, how many megabytes of messaging data we had. But, I mean, now you're talking about developing plans where businesses can just plug in at a rate. It's a monthly cost. Uh, they're essentially not going to blow out and get a million-dollar phone bill. And then, again, they can go back to focusing on running their organizations, which I think is exciting. Is that is that something that people are sort of coming saying, well, we hadn't really anticipated that. Now we're able to just buy it as a service as we used to with other types of services. We can just get on with our business. Yeah, I think as I when I talk through uh, mobile, fixed, edge, each of the pillars that we have, it's really interesting because I'll bring in some of you know, our leading enterprise innovative customers, and I think they want to talk about distributed computing, and so I'm excited about all my different edge use cases. Uh, and I talk to them about AT&T wireless broadband, and they're like, we could buy that right now? This is available? You have an unlimited plan for for our branch locations or for our machines. I'm like, yes. So, so I think it definitely is. And people see that as how do I, how do I blend this into my, my portfolio, right? That I think I can think of cellular as a way to do mission critical now that I know that it's, it's always up and I have that reliability. And I think as we move toward 5g, we're talking about, you know, five nines of reliability on cellular access Um, you know, and, and that same level, like you mentioned, we're going to get even faster speed. Um, so folks are definitely planning for that piece of it as they look at their long-term technology roadmaps, what they can do today. Uh, and that's one of those ones that I think businesses are the most excited about. Now, availability is a question that comes up. And obviously, you know, it's a new technology. It's a new thing. I mean, 5G is not even a fixed standard yet. I mean, 3GPPs really aren't up to release 17, which is still technically a draft. 
Um, but we're already seeing the exciting rollout of the likes of fixed broadband uh, from AT&T. Um, one of the questions that will come up is availability. What can you share with okay. us as far as where it's been deployed currently and, and where people could look to adopt it um, and, and any sort of insight into kind of you know, that rollout plan? Well, yeah. So I'd say one is, you know, you mentioned standards-based. I think we, AT&T, we played a huge part in writing those standards for 5G. And then we were talking a little bit before uh, when we were just, you know, getting to know each other is that the pace of rolling out these standards has become so much faster. Previously, it would be you'd have a new release, it would go through testing, and maybe, maybe 18 months later, right, we would roll it out. Um, and this one happened where we finalized standards uh, in the middle of last year, right? And then at the end of last year, we launched this network, standards-based mobile network. So this, this <laughs> it's, it's so fast. <laughs> uh, yes, it's getting it's getting so much so much more condensed, and it's because customers want this technology. So when we think about five G, once again, I go back to there's that air interface piece, and then there's the SDN or the core intelligent core transformation piece. And on both sides, as soon as technology becomes available, release 15, 16, we're going to make it available to customers. Um, so I'd say on the radio network side, that is as soon as we had, you know, there's a few foundational elements um, like 4x4 MIMO, 256QAM, carrier aggregation that is helping us deliver a very fast network uh, to our customers in the U.S., AT&T is right now the fastest network for our customers, and so and we've got that title you know a few quarters in a row now from crowdsourced Ookla speed tests, right? Uh, and so in that, it's because we're we're taking all these elements that are leading us up to 5G and, and commercializing it for our customers, putting it out there for the benefit they have. On the SDN side, uh, one of the first virtual network functions that we have, if you think about it, where as we make this software transformation, is the ability to do routing or managing your user data uh, so that I could break that out and manage it locally, right? And that's a big piece of our, our edge uh, plan now is if you think about an, a building uh, where I have a cellular system, say I have radios within my factory, now, rather than having to have that traffic run over AT&T's shared core network out over the internet to your cloud where you have an application, instead, you can now break that traffic out locally into your local data center where your application sits for a very short round trip and very short latency. So that's going to allow you to have on-premise um, communication between your different endpoints. Uh, and so as we think through 5G, and like you said, we're going to roll out these standards, I think we've been showing that we're going to, uh, as soon as functions become available, as soon as technology becomes available that can benefit our customers, we're going to be bringing it to market. The thing that I, I see, um, and, I, and I often think about AT&T being its own first customer in this process, is you've had to go through a significant digital transformation of your own internally. And then I guess you know, cloudification, if that's such a thing, uh, of of your own capabilities, you know, uh, transitioning from physical routers and switches and servers and storage sitting out in data centers and then the edge of the network and bits and pieces and poles and wires, where now we've sort of seen this shift to cloud capabilities, cloud platforms, software-defined infrastructure, software-defined network, and as you said, network function virtualization at various parts of the stack. 
uh, to the point where services can be created as, as sort of a software-defined thing and instantiated instantly deliver the service and then sort of get burnt back down. And I think you know, we've seen this in traditional enterprise applications such as you know email and, and other services we've consumed. Now to see this at the telco space, I think it's going to be very exciting because for me, it seems like we can create new services and new capabilities and try them and test them and deploy them and, and eventually, you know, commercialize them and monetize them, uh, as we're about to talk about, uh, at, at a, a faster pace, a lower cost, uh, a much lower risk, I think, because we can sort of adopt that fail and fail fast agile methodology we've seen in startups. Um, to see the telco industry go through this, so it's pretty yeah. exciting, but also uh, brave and, and, and uh, innovative. Um, do you think the industry is ready for that? Uh, I mean, I, my gut sense is they are, but I think there's still a lot of learning for that. But you know, what's your general sense of the industry as a whole across all different sort of businesses, whether it's banking, finance, retail, health, et cetera? Do you think that they're ready for that uh, sort of concept of uh, their telco space sort of being delivered in a cloud form as a service? I think so. Um, I think that... They've started to make that as we've, you know, we've gone through a software-defined transformation on the wired side of the network, right? So for some of their circuits they purchase, they're also already we offer network-on-demand services, right? You can dial up and down your bandwidth. You could change your security settings virtually. Uh, in a portal, you could reconfigure everything, right? Or through APIs, you could do it based on rules. Um, and so since customers have been able to see this SDN side on their wired networks, um, I think that as they look at wireless coming into that, that's really what we mean when we talk about 5G network slicing. Eh, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's like on-demand services, but now on the cellular side that I could set up a, a virtual dedicated circuit for you. So I, I think businesses actually are the ones that are most well positioned to understand that, to understand the SDN side of it, which is another reason why um, we we kind of all across the the um, you know industry and I'd say globally when I think about you know Mobile World Congress and as we talked about five G uh, see businesses leaning in and understanding the benefits first. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited by this because I you know I've seen enterprise whether it's small to medium size or, or, or multinational global players come to grips with the concept of cloud, leverage it, and now almost take for granted that things just can be done in you know, hybrid, private, or public cloud. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that this can now migrate into what we do with, with communications and, and telco in particular because I think they have not always blended well um, for various reasons. Now I think this blend is just a natural transition. We're not going to sort of think I'm doing this in my in-house space in my computer rooms. I'm doing this in my third-party data centers. I'm doing this in the public cloud. And now I've got to go and think about telco. I think this blend becomes very exciting because now the services just move in and out of the the, the various areas in a seamless fashion. That's not going to happen automatically. There's no sort of form of transmogrification, but I think it's going to be a very seamless process. And I'm pretty excited about what that means because it means services can move in and out of, of sort of different realms uh, instantly. As you said, they can, they can be instantiated, deliver a service and drop out but I'm really excited about some of the things that can be built. One of the things that, that I'd love to get back to, though, is the, the mobile pillar, that whole space. I and mean, we sort of talked about the three areas around sort of you know, mobile and, and, and edge and, and um, the fixed wireless. Um, when we think about 5G, you know, the, understandably, there's a lot of confusion around it because it's a big topic. It's not just another G, as we said. When we went from sort of 3 to 4 and then the 4 to LTE, People at the consumer level, as you said, with the, the handset and, and, and their mobile phone, experienced it going faster, uh, but they didn't really need to understand a lot about what was underpinning that. I think with 5G, 
I'm of the view that we now need to have a little more understanding of what that actually means because it's not just a faster service in my handset. Um, as you're rolling this out and, and, and you know one of the first to deploy anything to do with mobile 5G in particular, um, what, what do we need to be thinking about with regard to what 5G actually means, not just from the handset, but across all things, you know, whether it's a SIM on my laptop or a SIM in my car, you know, we've just got a new Audi Q5, it just comes with a SIM built into it. It's like, kind of like a big fat phone. It automatically gets software updates for the, the engine manager system. It automatically gets updates of ro- uh, maps. It can tell me instantly uh, uh, whether there's an accident ahead and reroute my, my journey. Um, what sort of things do we need to know about what this transition to 5G means in your view? I'd say, I mean, I think that it's, like I mentioned, I think we're going to have cellular connectivity all uh, continue to live together, right? So we'll have this LTE um, ubiquity. And then as we develop 5G and have it in, we've launched it in 19 markets here in the U.S., uh, as those things start to roll out, I think each of these zones or areas that you roll into have a different use case. Um, So, for example, here, something that we've done with a couple of customers that are really interested in how do I take advantage of this would be like we announced earlier um, that we're bringing 5G uh, millimeter wave into Rush Hospital here in the U.S. It's a large hospital in, in Chicago. And so then from a mobile device perspective, they're thinking about how do I how do I and, and even beyond this, healthcare is looking at patient journeys, um, the connections that they have and how the patient moves through the hospital with their mobile device. Kind of like an example you mentioned with your kids is that we bring our mobile devices with us everywhere. Or even your example of this is my office. So now businesses are looking at how do I better leverage that mobile device? So when they're out and then also when they come into this area. Um, and so it's, it's the kind of ubiquity of that device, of, of that mobility. So making the worker more productive and making the consumer more productive was the first wave of it. And I, I now think businesses are seeing how much more advantage they could have in personalizing the customer experience by leveraging that same mobile device, by investing in cellular in their own um, applications or coverage that they have within their facilities and stores and hospitals. Um, so really leveraging that next piece. I like the hospital example of um, uh, working with uh, folk like Montefiore and others um around some of the analytics space. Uh, every time I walk into some of these spaces, whether it's aged care, uh, uh, one of my startups does digital transformation for aged care facilities. Um, we work a lot in hospitals. And I'm always reminded of that Monty Python skit where the uh, surgeons walk into the room and, and the guy says, ah, oh, I see you have the machine, which goes bing, um, which probably ages me. But um, the thing that strikes me is that almost none of them are connected. You know, like uh, we've, we've had incidences where when our kids are very uh, young and, and like kids do, they, they pick up various things and we've had them in hospital overnight. And it always frustrated me that, you know, the thing taking their heart rate wasn't connected and the thing that was taking their temperature wasn't connected. And, uh, you know, we didn't know how much hydration they'd had with, you know, people measuring cups by, by hand. And at the end of the bed, there was a clipboard with a curved bit at the top and they'd pick it up and write things on it. And, and yet now, when I think about where we're at just a couple of years down the path, this whole thing around your mobile pillar uh, sort of reminds me of that period where now the things that go bing are connected and... They're connected in a whole bunch of wireless ways. And I think the shift away from Wi-Fi now to wireless and mobile capability you're talking about 
is a lifesaver in many places with, with hospitals, of course, because if you see, you know, something detects that heart rate stopped, it doesn't have to start screaming and, and freaking people out in the room as it does. And everyone starts yelling code red. You can get an, a sensor in someone's wrist, you know, or a smart device or something, and, the, and they, they respond. I, I'm very excited about what this means with not just the, the health and, and, and retail spaces, yes. but across all business, because I think this this mobile pillar you're, you're deploying all these new capabilities with you know as we said not just another 5g um you know all the different types of spectrums that can be used all the different places you know i think a lot of people will get excited when they realize that yes you've got the wide area radio network capabilities being deployed at urban level to deliver services for data and whatnot you've got campus-wide technology and now you've got in-building capabilities that 5g allows um what can you tell us about what that underpinning uh, sort of spaces like, you know, what, what's happening in, in sort of, I, I guess, the different spectrum spaces. And um, when we think about where people are going to leverage the shift from sort of LT to, to 5G, um, what underpins all of that? What are some of the biggest shifts we're going to see in that space of kind of what, where 5G is different and, and where that mobile pillar sort of empowers new, great new things? Well, I think one is the the, the efficiency you're going to have a new radio technology, right? So as we move to, that's that air interface that's moving to new radio, the way that data transfers, and, and we talked about this a little as we were joking about, you know, we went from 2G to 3G and, you know, email to where we move everything to data, right? Like voice over LTE. Um, and as we move into 5G, that's going to become even more efficient uh, in the way that we transmit data between the device and the radio, and it also is what's enabling us to support many, many more devices. So if you think about that, um, that hospital example, right? If you think of a hospital as a factory, right? And you're like, how do I move things through where I have full insight? Um, and and some there's been some some research done here where a hospital did this, uh, and they tracked a patient journey very efficient. Like they took all the data down. Um, this was not automated, right? But they tracked where the patient went, and they were able to predict a better likelihood of them contracting sepsis. So, what was the probability? And then treat them appropriately based on that journey, and they reduced their their incidence, right? So they improved patient outcomes, which is what they're looking for. They reduced the cost of having these incidents happen. And then, to your point, if you think about everything connected across that, what if if I always know where my patients are? My equipment is all connected, my doctors, my rooms, because what I don't want to have is an empty room, equipment sitting idle, and a patient waiting, just because I haven't scheduled these things together. And as you know, when you go through a hospital, you can never, you can't always predict, right, with certainty how long different procedures will take. You know, things go that they they have to investigate and, and things take longer. So what if you had an intelligent scheduler? All of this data could be used in an algorithm to say, I'm now going to move rooms around and patient information will appear. So it's no longer, you know, the clipboard at the end of the bed, but these rooms will know. Um, and so then I think about that's kind of a roundabout way to get back to when you go, what's happening and what's the shift in mobile is how many more devices, how much more connections we will be able to support. And in that, I think it gets into, on the same side, the the devices, these endpoints will get to something more ubiquitous as they start to think through 
how much more valuable that cellular connectivity is for them to have outside of the laptop and the cell phone that we're all used to now. But as we get this ubiquity, how we can start to embed that connectivity into our more expensive machines like MRIs or things like that. Right. Yeah, I remember reading a recent thing that came out of the OECD, and uh, it was a comparative analysis around uh, you know, Asia, Oceania, Europe, Middle East, um, North America. And I was fascinated that the reduction in mortality, that is the uh, incidence of death or the likelihood of death in a particular circumstance around hospitals, it was nearly a 45% uh, decline graph. It was like, you know, top, right hand, top left-hand corner to top bottom right-hand corner. It was just this <laughs> linear reduction. And uh, what was interesting was that, you know, they allocated, they, they, they associated with things like, you know, better health and you know, less risky living environments. But one of the big things that jumped out was technology. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, uh, this really gets to the heart of what you're talking about here is that, you know, it's exciting to see things happening in aviation, transport, logistics, mining. But when we think about direct human impact, uh, the idea of going to hospital and not dying is an exciting thing, yeah. uh, right? Um, yes. This brings me to Let another alone remote treatment and things oh, like that. Exactly, right. and as yeah. you said, you know, uh, the idea of having a, an expensive device that can be more intelligently used, and, and you know, whether it's just basic things like scheduling, because we don't have to keep track of it with a clipboard, or um, mm-hmm. you know, I can, in Australia, for example, we have uh, you know so many people living in, in what we call the outback, the, the regional areas. And often they don't have doctors out there, but they might have a, a regional care nurse and they might get shipped mm-hmm. an MRI device. And so this nurse is going to be, you know, he or she is going to be trained up to use a device. Uh, I can now see a scenario where we've got sort of, you know, haptic feedback gloves of some form connecting the remote operator, working with the person in the device and, you know, not necessarily surgery yet, but um, just that feedback of someone out in the region where the doctor's not even in the same country, potentially. We've got the best of the best in the world dialing in and seeing high-res imagery uh, seeing real-time feedback data and, and haptic feedback gloves, as in, you know, the person remotely wearing gloves that impact someone that's in another place. To me, that, that there can be no better sales pitch, no better business case than that type of adoption of the technology. But I guess it's also down to the, you know, getting cheaper widgets uh, that, you know, people can afford better things in, in life if they we can bring, you know, time to market and cost to reduce, uh, manufacture and reduce the time to get it to the marketplace. That brings me to my last question, um, which is monetization. I mean, this is the million-dollar question. Um, uh, before we hit record, as we were talking before, I mentioned that, you know, in boardrooms, one of the first things that generally happens when I walk in and someone hands me a whiteboard marker and says, here, perform Jedi mind tricks with this, um, we get through the, you know, what is it, how does it work, why should we adopt it, when do we plan, you know, do we need to make this a, a standing item on our boardroom agenda? The answer is yes. But then they're like, well, okay, well, how do we monetize this? How do we make money from this? How do we reduce the cost of manufacturing things? How do we get things to the market quicker? Mm-hmm. I would love to get your insights because you're in such a unique uh, position and, and not just your role, but how you're placed with the access to both what's happening in AT&T business uh, as well as your consumers and, and the market. Um, you know, what are your thoughts around some of the early spaces of opportunities to monetize this whole transition to not just 5G, but, but sort of you know the new capabilities in mobile, uh, uh, wireless broadband and, and what edge computing can do for us. Love to get your insights on that that million-dollar question of monetization and some of the more exciting things you're seeing. Yeah, I, I see this as it's enabling this next wave of digital transformation, right? The first wave that we all went through uh, is how do we start to virtualize our applications, virtualize everything and move it into the cloud, um, I think the second wave is really going to be how the business units, how the 
business takes advantage of that for operational improvements, new business models. So one is there's just going to be this explosion of data that happens. And you think about where there's opportunity, right? We said, okay, by 2025, global data sphere is forecasted to grow up to 163 zettabytes per year, 10 times where we are right now. Um, you know, and, and that is huge if you think about how much more, how much more will be connected and, and that information that you have. And at the same time, you couple that, okay, so we're seeing these trends and growing data with what businesses are telling us that they're doing. So 90% of businesses now say they're focused on growing market share with technology investments. So technology investments as a differentiator, as a way to drive new business revenue, right? Um, and we launched this report, like the intelligent business that was focused on this. Um, and so that's where I would go into when people think, well, how do I monetize this is really, what is the data that you can take action on? So one example would be you need to have more things connected so you're collecting that information. You need to be thinking about how the applications sit. Uh, right now we looked at first, let's let's virtualize everything. Now I think we need to break apart what that that application does. And that's where we're talking about applets and microservices and that distributed computing. So an example would be in a factory. We have this one customer um, and they're looking at one, I want to have better cellular connectivity within the factory to connect to my machines because I'm working on very sensitive manufacturing. And to the point where I know if I could reduce vibrations in my line while I go through production, I can take my defect rate down. And I need to adjust that really in near real time so that I have an application here or uh, they have a data center on premise as a lot of these factories do. Um, and so if I could take cellular data and capture that so that the machine is connected, the, the, the belt is connected and all of these adjustments can be made, I have a value on that latency improvement. As I move from 50 milliseconds to sub five milliseconds, I quantify that improvement based on a defect that I save. And that is where you need to have the connectivity, but the data piece of it to act upon. Um, and you could see that benefit. So folks there in that space already willing to invest. Wow. I, uh, That's where I, Well, yeah. you said 163 zettabytes. Uh, we were sort of joking about this <laughs> off air before, but... Uh, um, you know, for folk who hear the term zettabyte but don't really know what it means, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's two to the power of seventieth. I think it is. It's like it's it's ten with twenty one zeros after it. So if we were going to write down a zettabyte, you know, you could write one hundred and sixty three with you know zero 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 times twenty one. Just write twenty one zeros after the one hundred sixty three, and you've got an idea of how big that number is. It's it's beyond comprehension for the ninety nine percent of the of us on this planet. But as you said, you know, there's so much we can get from that with insights and so forth. Um, I, I'd actually, I did like your reference to your recent uh, intelligent business report. I highly recommend that listeners jump online and just find your favorite web search tool and, and search for AT&T intelligent business report. Uh, I remember when that came out, it was a fantastic read. I actually, I remember printing it out and binding it and handing it to dozens of people saying, read this. That's call me awesome. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend people get the PDF because that'll save trees, but um, I know that a lot of uh, C-suite that I deal with here in Australia still, we're a little bit behind the times, still love the tactile piece of paper and they read that on the bus at home, whatever. But um, 
it was interesting that when some of that research came out of that, where, where to make the right investments and get dividends from that and, and where to prioritise your effort around data uh, and particularly the cognitive leveraging of data and getting some insights from that. And, and then some of the underpinning challenges around cybersecurity and, and, and where some of those things might create an issue because we've got so much more data, we need to think about it. And, and the recent acquisition of AlienVault by AT&T and, and now rebranded AT&T Cybersecurity is going to help them there. So there's some great reading in that. Um, now, before we wrap up, because uh, you've given us some amazing insights and in all of that, what I'd love to do is a final question, uh, if you don't mind. I often ask my guests to sort of, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball and you were to gaze into it for a moment, could you give us a couple of minutes of sort of your view on kind of where we're going in the next 12 to 18 months? Because as we said, this is moving very quickly. There are a lot of big changes. And, and I think in many ways I describe it as an exhausting change because you've got um, you know, high-speed cha- changes coming at them at a rapid pace and multiple lanes. It's almost like having to run, you know, 10 sprint races at 100 yards at, at the same time. It's exhausting. You know, you've got cloud and big data and analytics and AI and machine learning and IoT and 5G and you name it. Um, when we think about where we're at now, particularly in your space with, with the whole enterprise mobility solutions challenge, um, where do you see us in the next 12 to 18 months? And, and are there any key points you think people should take away from this that they need to now sit down and add to their boardroom agendas as standard uh, you know, items on, the, on their agenda for meetings and topics they need to be planning for? Uh, you know, what sort of conversations should, should we be having now across the organization as to how do we get ready? How do we prepare for this? I mean, what's coming over the horizon in the next sort of 12 to 18 months in your view? Hmm. I think. I think I will continue to keep running. Uh, <laughs> I think this pace is still on. going to be this pace. Yes. Um, I, I think one of the exciting things is thinking of cellular as, and you know, this is me coming from the AT&T side, but I think of cellular as your LAN almost that cellular is getting into this space. And if you think about that, where you can have it as a managed service, that you could still have that same level of insight, uh, control, we're getting into this this next view of, and it might be more than 18 months, where we have fully um, uh, cellular on demand. But I think even before that, as this rolls out, you'll be able to control it. Um, and so businesses should start to think about that when they go, well, across my campuses, my environments, my branches, uh, my retail stores, my my restaurants, right? Um, the role that that could play in terms of connectivity uh, and, and thinking about what you, else you could connect and gain information from. And then like for our end consumers, how that's going to improve the customer experience. I think of um, what you do now when you check into a hotel, uh, go to your room and move about and, and how different that will be, um, when it could be personalized, when it could tie to your device, um, and that you have intelligent, uh, rooms and experiences as I move throughout different, you know, the restaurant, I have a different experience. I already know the table I'm going to my ride share, right? Like you mentioned, the taxis, all these things that are connected, uh, just how much more personalized it can become for the consumer. I feel like we've been talking about this level of personalization for a little while, and I I feel like it's really starting to come together as businesses connect more um, and bring that in. So that's what I'm excited about enabling. I see cellular having this, like you mentioned, because it's standards, because we can go across devices 
uh, and it's international and you can travel with these things, it starts to make sense to build to these standards. And so as more and more endpoints become connected, uh, you'll start to have that intelligence and can plan that way. I like that. Uh, when I looked at uh, some of the key areas that people were talking about, investment priorities, and, and you know, some of the big ones were Internet of Things and cybersecurity and, and some of the sort of more bleeding-edge spaces around distributed ledger technology and blockchain. And then there was the obvious ones of big data and analytics and artificial intelligence. And then we've got sort of mm-hmm. robotics or robotics process automation, AI, and, and a whole bunch of other things, cloud. The thing that jumped out when I looked at all this data was the number one priority in a lot of organizations, and I think this falls right into your space of enterprise mobility, was that whole connectivity piece. How do we get things from one end yes. of our business to the other? How do we get our people moving seamlessly? And I think you've given us some amazing insights into what your team are doing and what you're doing leading with this and, and particularly what at t Business brings to the table. I think we have got a very exciting next 12 to 18 months ahead of us. And uh, nothing gives me more confidence than now hearing what you're talking about and the fact that you're at the front of this and leading the charge. And uh, I, I excitingly look at what uh, my, my 15 or 18-year-old kids are uh, growing into and what they're inheriting to, and, and I, I think we have you to thank for that in many, very ways. Des, thank you so much. This has been great. I love talking with you about this stuff, and, and it's really exciting. I'm looking forward to going through these next 12 to 18 months too. Indeed. Well, Christina, thank you so much for making time to catch up with me. I know it's the end of your busy day and uh, you probably need some kefefe in you to uh, get you through the rest of the day. And, and I hope we will have the pleasure of having you on the show again soon. But thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, I know our listeners are going to get so much from what you've shared with us. Thank you.